Welcome to Backstory Song. I'm your host, Doug Burke, and today we're here with Jet and Callie Sue Schiavone of the band Gleewood. Jet Schiavone was writing laid-back acoustic songs in New Mexico when he met, married, and began writing with the Western Desert Ranch girl, Callie Sue. Jet's bass baritone grit welds uniquely with Callie's high, clear soprano vocals to create a sound that has been described as coffee and cream with a shot of whiskey. Gleewood was originally conceived as an acoustic duo humbly sharing folk songs from town to town throughout the Southwest while living out of their Honda element. They've plugged in and added backing bands and have been relentlessly touring, promoting their unique blend of rock, folk, and blues. I usually don't do much of a background on the bands. I usually dive right into the songs, but you guys intrigue me so much because you couldn't be more opposite on stage when you see you guys perform because yet you're quite tall and you play a mean guitar and Carrie, you're quite smaller. Yeah. Than, oh no, I'm much smaller than he is. That's okay play, to say. And you play a large string bass and then you have a baritone jet and you have a soprano. So there's this like tiny woman with a bass singing high notes and this tall man with a deep baritone playing this screaming guitar. So it's just this con- and then the last time I saw you, you had an African-American female drummer, which is cooler than cool. As far as I was concerned, I was like, oh my God, look at this. Just the visuals of watching you and hearing you perform live was cooler than cool. So tell me like you meet in the bookstore. How does the music happen from that? Well, I wrote my first song that day. Really? I did. Yeah. Playing music for me was more of a byproduct of the people I was hanging around. You know, a lot of people got together and played jam circles and, you know, acoustic guitars at the skate park and stuff like that. And I was running sound at that bookstore where we also hosted a black box theater and and open mics and stuff for people that were under 21. So it was like kind of a youth hangout. And I got really inspired and started messing around with guitar more and more. And that day I met Callie and I was like, wow, I got to write that girl a song. And so I did, it wasn't a good song, so I never recorded it, but they got a little bit better over time with some practice. And Callie was very encouraging in that. And um, I don't know, we just kind of fell into playing music. She wasn't pursuing music at all at the time. Well, you literally roped me into it. Well, you didn't know how to rope, but you roped me into it, the definition of it. After a while we were dating and playing and I was being the good girlfriend and going to the open mics or whatever and helping him carry his stuff. And I could tell he had this very deep, yeah, baritone voice. My mom is an incredible singer. And so she had taught me a lot about singing. So I was trying to like help Jet be bold in that bold voice because it's, uh, it's powerful. And he was kind of intimidated to sing out, but I was trying to encourage him. And we finally got to the point where Jet had written about four songs that he wanted to record, put on an EP, and start booking gigs. 
So he started recording in this old earth ship. Do you know what earth ships are? The, so <laughs> the earth ships are these crazy New Mexican style of building. They're all over, but it's a house built of straw or clay or adobe or tires. It's like a big recycled home, no running water, no electricity. It's all just self-sustained. Recycled materials? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Tires. Glass. Yeah. So he had met this gentleman who had a studio in one of these and ran a solar powered studio. studio. Well, one night we were around the fire, just kind of jamming and playing. And we wrote a song together, which that was the first time that it happened. Okay. And we sang together. We heard the differences in our voice and we wrote this really dorky love song. And Jet's like, <laughs> let's put it on my EP. Like that'd be fun. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know. And it's like, yeah, come on out and we'll, we'll just throw it on there. So that happened. And then Jet got a gig, one of his first paying gigs out in the middle of some outlaw town in New Mexico. It's a biker bar called No Scum Allowed Saloon. In White Oaks, White Oaks, New Mexico. Yeah. And rules are clear. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And I'm helping him unload his equipment to play. And he looks at me and says, Oh, uh, by the way, you're playing with me tonight. Like, we're booked as a duo. And I. I was like, wait, what? Like, I don't know all of your songs. So he kind of threw me under the bus a little bit. Yep. And, wow. And that... How'd that go? It went awesome. <laughs> it went really good. <laughs> I don't know if anybody else enjoyed it, but we had a blast. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so after we did that show, we started doing a little bit more here and there. We were working some full-time jobs that didn't have anything to do with the entertainment industry. And then, um, gosh... We started going to a lot of concerts together and and enjoying music and writing more together. And then I did not want to be, not that there's anything wrong with it, but for me, I didn't want to be the girl singing on stage with a tambourine. Like, that's just not my personality. So um, we needed a bass player for kind of a band we were putting together. So I was like, well, I'll play bass. So started playing bass. And then we recorded our first album in New Mexico in a basement. <laughs> and then moved into the back of our Honda Element and lived out of that for about a year and played every dive bar, saloon, coffee house, open mic that would let us play. And six years later, we're still on the road, man. <laughs> talk about one of your songs because this is about the backstory vision inspiration creative process of songs you want to talk about one that you co-wrote 
Absolutely. We kind of co-wrote pretty much everything that we have recorded. Whiskey Sue is, um, was a turning point for us. We wrote that together as well as with our brother-in-law, Josh Landry. And that is a, a semi-historical song about my great-grandfather who came over from Sicily, landed up in New York, and started running Whiskey Moonshine during the Prohibition era from the southern states up into New York City because he had a hard time finding honest work. So he almost didn't make it out of that line of work alive thanks to a gal named Whiskey Sue, so the story of my family goes. And uh, so we kind of expanded on that idea and wrote that in a way where I represented the voice of my great-grandfather and Callie represents the voice of Whiskey Sue. That was our first time getting in a studio environment or a rehearsal environment with a set of drums and electric instruments and starting from there rather than starting from an acoustic guitar. And that really changed the way that we look at songwriting, just being plugged in loud and amplified, starting with more of a riff and a rhythmic idea and kind of Callie, like so many of our songs, she brings like a novel of an idea and we usually have to like chop it down into like verses that work with a riff and, and more of a vague idea and letting the energy of the song flow and develop as we wrote it because we were almost trying to write a song for live purposes rather than writing it for a record or writing it for radio. And that's why it's like, I think it's like a seven minute song. It's a very long song. Yeah. One of the things I, I'm hopeful that Backstory Song helps people do is to search and discover music. We've seen the album and the singles and radio become less important with the emergence of Spotify and Pandora and the computer determining what we're listening to and these algorithms determining what we listen to. And I'm hopeful that people will search this podcast and fall in love with artists and fall in love with their work and and find and discover new things. But one of the constraints of radio is, you know, three-minute songs, you know, plus or minus 30 seconds. And there is no constraint on Spotify. So you have a seven-minute song. Yeah, the, no constraint on Spotify, no constraint on YouTube. That's the funny thing is we actually finished Whiskey Sue here in Park City. We played it at Sundance at Atticus. And some friends of ours called Secret Circus really liked the song. They're amazing producers of music and they wanted to help us record it. So when we got back to New Mexico, strangely enough, they were based out of New Mexico at the time and still are. And uh, we went in this old abandoned building in Roswell, New Mexico, where we had the space to record the song and the video at the same time. And so we had talked a lot about with them about trying to cut the song short. But the thing is, is it's a rock ballad. It's a ballad. And it has these stanzas. It's telling a narrative, a story. It's not a concept. It's not just a drinking song. It's a full story. So that really, whenever that song kind of got popular in our fan group, people really, really enjoyed that song. That song has opened a lot of doors for us. We continued because it's what we're passionate about, but we continued that same kind of structure with most of our songs. There is a narrative. There is a story that's happening. There's characters involved. We play different characters. I mean, everyone has a story to their song, but it's lots of artists feel compelled to write about concepts or it's kind of loose ended and you can make what you want of it. 
we're always inspired by characters, characters of our family, characters we come across on the road, characters we read about. And that seems to really inspire a lot of our songs. So the majority of our material is over four minutes. So saddle yeah, we, up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, we, we like the long-winded approach for this project, yeah. you know. Um, I love writing straightforward blues songs and, and love songs that are a little bit more concise because I think they need to be. But for this project, you know, storytelling is the center of what we're trying to do. So sometimes, sometimes stories take a minute to tell. So your new album is called? Necromancer's Dream. And you want to talk about a song on that? Sure. Sure. Um, man, which one, which one? So I had to look up Necromancer, and maybe you can tell me what it means, Callie, well, to you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's it's a dark, it's a dark term. Um, it's about uh, a type of sorcerer who can raise people from the dead, or themselves is risen from the dead, which could really take you down a dark path, but we're not necessarily going that direction with it. Hence why we added the dream to a necromancer's dream. So the title track of the song, where the idea necromancer's dream came from is the title track of the album is rock and roll is dead. And we were in discussion about various artists that we look up to and that we like, and most of them were from a certain time period in a certain era. So a lot of late 60s, early 70s style rock and roll, singer-songwriters. And these days, it's hard to discover artists that were inspired by those people because most of those big-name artists are still dominating the radio airwaves or popularity, which is great because they deserve it. They wrote amazing songs. You know, I'm talking about... Led Zeppelin, Cream, Jefferson Airplane, all the, I love those bands. But we rarely get to hear who they inspired on the radio. Most of the time, classic rock just plays those guys, you know. But there's a lot of us bands who were inspired by that, grew up with that music, and are putting our own twist on it. So you really have to dig through the Spotify, you know, profiles, the the podcasts, the blogs. You have to go on a real search to find rock and roll music inspired by those artists. And, you know, there's a bunch that are surfacing now, but it's still kind of hard. So we had this notion that perhaps rock and roll is a person, a spirit, and it has been missing or dead, or maybe somehow it got whisked away <laughs> this is part of that weird literary thing. We had just finished reading a book called Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norell, and it's about magic in England. And there's a character in it called the Raven King who steals people away to the magic kingdom of fairy. And um, we thought maybe rock and roll, the spirit, the king of rock and roll has been kidnapped by this necromancer, by this sorcerer, and is being is still alive, but is being held in this other realm, some realm that's hard to get to, hard to hear, hard to to find. And the idea of the song was that we as artists need to call him back, need to have him like the spirit of rock and roll. Let's see it come back to the radio airwaves. Let's see it come back to you know pop music, and the energy of a live show. You know? and, and, yeah, uh, we have so many screens between live shows. And like you said, it was 
it was fun to go to our live show, which is what we encourage people to do because we translate better live. We're, we're a raw band, you know, we like being live. That's our fuel. And yeah, so that's the background of that song. <laughs> the song is called Rock and Roll is Dead. And it is the only song where the line... So we all dance together in the necromancer's dream. So that's the title lyric. Yes, exactly. Yeah, the title lyric. In the, the song. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's uh, basically where the title for the album came from. We wanted people to know that the album was going to be discussing some darker material. And our previous albums have always been pretty sunshine influenced like lots of uh mountains and rivers and and the sun and desert and very hopeful and very joyful and we were at a point writing these songs for the for the new album that there was a bit of a darker tint to it kind of the night in the desert rather than than always cruising in the car out in the sunshine thank you for listening to Backstory Song. If you like our podcast, you can become a patron at our Patreon page, where you will receive bonus interview tracks with your favorite songwriters and early release access to upcoming episodes. It is only $3 per month or the price of a cup of coffee to become a Backstory Song patron. So a lot of your music, at least on this album, as I listen to the songs that are out there, is haunting. And, you know, this whole Roswell, New Mexico kind of feel. I don't know if that's what you're going for. If like like space aliens invading or something from where you come from. But there's a real haunting aspect to the music on it. I don't know if that's what you're going for. But maybe you could talk about what you're going for on the sound of rock and roll is dead. I mean, you know, it's like... It's heavy material. I, I don't agree with that. But no, I don't. We don't agree with it either. You know, it's, it is kind of a tongue in cheek. It thing. is the whole. This whole album is drenched in irony. It really is. I mean, that's like the idea of it. Is everything is just kind of ironic. You know, the the song "Chocolate on My Tongue" by the Wood Brothers. That's the only song on the album that we haven't written. But the Wood Brothers are a band that we look up to a lot, and they have this really happy go lucky you know, song called Chocolate on My Tongue. And it's like this bluegrass, jangly, major key thing that we've always loved. But the lyrics could also be taken the complete opposite way. And so when we took the song and turned it into more of like a down-tempo, minor key, sludgy version of itself, the lyrics took on this really, what were happy kind of uplifting lyrics, kind of took on this darker, almost sarcastic approach. And that's kind of the way the whole record swings, you know, and the haunting aspect of it is, uh, 
I don't, I don't know. It's just us stretching our legs in some new material. One of the songs, White Snow, is inspired by a cowboy ghost found sitting on top of our roof down in the Hondo Valley in New Mexico. There are a lot of ghosts of the past that are kind of uh, making a little bit of a resurgence in some of these lyrics. And, you know, a lot of these songs we had started writing with, with our, our drummer, Josh Landry, years ago, um, who ended up passing away due to some uh, a terrible struggle uh, he faced with addiction. And, you know, revisiting these songs for us and completing them had a heavy feel. You know? mentioned on your band camp one of the songs is dedicated to his or is written about his addiction yeah that one's called superstition superstition yeah superstition right, right. you want to talk about that or is it too heavy um, to talk about no it no it's it, because uh josh was an incredible person and he meant a lot to us and he was very brave and very bold and, and knew what he was struggling with and would want us to talk about it the point of the track also has a little bit of that kind of tongue-in-cheek stuff is that oftentimes when we know somebody is struggling with addiction or or mental issues, what they can do to themselves is kind of like superstition. Like It's almost like, well, you know, they could hurt themselves. Oh, they'll be all right, you know, or so, you know, we kind of sometimes can look over that as a friend or or something. And so the song is about kind of from the from the addict's perspective of maybe you don't believe that that mental illness is a thing or that addiction is a thing but I'll tell you what is going on through my head while I'm struggling with these demons so that's that's kind of the backstory of that song really I wouldn't know <laughs> where else to go with it because it does have a character that's talking to you but then many of the lyrics can be left up to interpretation by the listener as well. You know, not, not everybody fills in what things mean on songs because they can mean different things to the listener. And Right. Yeah, exactly. And sometimes there's a real actual story. In this song, you use Spanish? Well, we had just gotten back from a tour in Spain. And, you know, growing up in New Mexico, there's a lot of bilingual people that we grew up around and working with and just using a little bit of Spanish in the lyrics. And we have a little bit of a kind of a 
Latin-based rhythm to that song as well. It just felt right. It felt natural. And we were touring with a guy named Chavo from Las Cruces, New Mexico, who was drumming with us when we finished it. And he was uh, bilingual. And so we would be in the tour rig and he would be teaching us Spanish as we were going, you know, from town to town. And so it just kind of, just kind of fell into place while we were finishing that song. It's kind of almost a take on, you know, Last Dance with Mary Jane kind of a vibe, dancing with the devil kind of idea uh, to that portion of the lyrics. So I ask this a lot of the Nashville songwriters, because many of them are not songwriter performers the way you guys are. Many of them write songs for other people. Do you have any songs that you say to yourself, oh my gosh, I would love for this voice to record this song? Are they all just your own songs? I mean, yes and no. There's definitely people we would really love to collaborate with. There's songs that we've written that we've tried to perform live, tried to put in our set that are just, their style is just not quite authentically ourselves. It's a great song. We love playing it. I mean, it is our song, but it doesn't come through as Gleewood as that project's sound. So name a song that you would like someone to record. Well, truthfully. No, lie to me. Lie, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, truthfully, I really wanted Jessica Hernandez to sing Superstition. I really wanted to collaborate with her on that song. And I was too afraid to email her with the song and ask her to be a part of it. So... I didn't do that. I'm hopeful my podcast listeners will get it to her and she'll give it a listen. Right. That would be cool. I enjoy singing that song. It's dear to my heart. But yeah, you you feel like there's somebody else who possibly could fulfill the potential of that song better than you can. Could own it differently. Own it differently. And sometimes some songs that you write, especially for me, I don't know if you feel this way, Jet, but I feel like there's songs that I write that exactly, you know, someone else could take this and really do the song justice. I feel like the song is good. I feel like the lyrics are good. I feel like the structure is good. But I don't know that I have the capability of taking it to that level. So that's one song for sure. Jet, do you have any songs that answer this question? Or they're all your songs? Um, no, I I would always I always think of songs that I would love to play those songs with, you know? Um, there's a number of songs that we've written, like Stay and tunes like that, that I think, oh man, wouldn't this be cool to work with like Ben Harper or, Michael you know, Franti. Michael Franti or, you know, these people that could add this new flavor to this song, you know? On Stay? Yeah, on Stay, I would love, I could always hear like Michael Franti adding like a, you know, a lyrical improvisational section and, you know, his bringing his world groove vibe to that sound. And, you know, I could totally hear that. And then I've been writing a lot of uh, blues stuff for my Jet Black project. And I'm always filling my head with blues artists that I feel could perform the song on another level that I could ever take it to. Maybe one day I'll be able to take those songs to some of those artists that I, I really look up to. But for right now, where I'm at creatively, I feel, I feel like I need to stay focused on writing the songs that I want to perform. 
started saving for a stereo I thought of nothing but hitting a road Black top, gasoline, and cigarette smoke Brought me to something I thought I could hold Six months later, she let me go Just getting started with a long way to go Free falling, blaring on the radio But it's songs like that That are based on our life soundtrack That teach us how to live without looking back And help us to sing in tune We obviously lost Tom Petty to addiction. You write songs about Tom Petty. We did. <laughs> yep. That's another one that made it. That one's called The Good, The Bad, and The Blues. You want to talk about that one? Sure. Yeah. That's, um, we were on tour in Germany. Had a, our first day off and I don't know how long in Berlin. We had woke up late in some hotel and we pulled open our phones and saw that Mr. Tom Petty had passed away and it just like hit us. I don't know if it was like the emotions that we were kind of pushing down, you know, on that tour so that we could kind of cope with everything that was going on, but they all got released when we read about Tom Petty passing away and our band and the band we were on tour with, we all were just kind of like fraught with emotion over this. And we pulled out some acoustic guitars and we were just kind of sitting in a circle talking about, wow, yeah, I remember first hearing that song, I was doing this, or, you know, I had my first kiss to, you know, free fallen, or I remember when I got let go from my job, you know, and, and that song helped me through this time. And I just thought it was amazing how many memories that the six of us had attached to one man's lyrics. And it was just, it was profound. It was songs, you know, written for the blue collar American and for the working man, you know, and what an amazing testament as a songwriter, you know, what a way to honor him by singing his songs and carrying that flame. And I was sitting there, I was thinking, I was like, yeah, he really has helped me through the good, the bad and the blues. And I was like, wow, that's, that's a cool, that's a cool idea. I'm going to, I'm going to play around with that. And we played around with those lyric lines throughout the rest of the day and in various forms. And we kind of compiled some stories that we had all talked about that were connected to Tom Petty's songs. And we put those in the verses and yeah. just kind of an homage to what any musical legend, any any musical hero of ours can do for us and and help us through. That's that's what music does. It helps bring us together, it helps connect us and helps emotionally tackle the good times, the bad times and the blues, you know. We were literally Monday morning in a cheap hotel, heard the news that a legend fell. That's literally where we were. In Berlin. In Berlin, yeah, yeah. in a cheap hotel in Berlin. And then, uh, I don't, you know, many of us have spent Saturday night alone, you know, feeling sorry for ourselves. Um, and that's that's also part of the lyric. And Yeah, and that's definitely, you know, a, a lyric that was close to home for me, Saturday night alone in my bedroom, 
I was counted among the fools. You know, a lot of people say, gosh, I wish I could, you know, play guitar like that and wish I could do what you guys are doing on the road. And which I believe, you know, just like anybody who's dedicated to anything, it takes that time and dedication to a, a singular craft that can really take you away from the rest of the world in order to fulfill it. You know, whatever your art or creative outlet is to really dedicate yourself to that particular craft, you know, a lot of other areas in your life are going to suffer due to that dedication. And so, you know, again, his songs helped me through that stage of me learning how to play the guitar. And I'll never forget, I was up in a cabin in Cloudcroft, New Mexico, helping put in a barbecue restaurant. And I was sitting there playing some Tom Petty songs and all of a sudden something clicked, man. And I just, my ears were open. I didn't really come from a musical family, you know, and but all of a sudden my ears were open and this notion of the blues that I'd always loved listening to and tackled with on my guitar, I could never get that presence, that feeling to come across from the fretboard, you know? And that day, it, you know, the Lord just kind of opened my ears up to what needed to happen. And the blues kind of settled into, into my heart and, and were able to translate to my fingertips, you know, and yeah, changed my life for sure. So playing a Tom Petty song. Yeah. Do you remember what it was? I don't. Okay. I don't remember what it was. <laughs> I don't remember what it was. But you remember the feeling. I remember the feeling though. Remember it very well. Yeah. Backstory Song's mission is to help songwriters and their work get found and discovered so they can make a living and keep on creating great songs. The best way to pay a songwriter is to listen to their songs. Unfortunately, with the decline of radio listeners, songwriters who live off royalties do not make the same royalties they used to. Please help out the Backstory songwriters by listening to their songs on our playlist. Share Backstory song episodes with your friends on your social media and encourage them to do the same. By liking and sharing Backstory song on your social media, you'll be helping the songwriters on this podcast. So um, 
I do want to talk about an upbeat sound. I really like Colorado Brew, which is more of a poppier sound. I don't know if you'd call it that, but can we talk about that song? Sure, sure. Oh, this song. Oh, this is actually a, an older song that we had been sitting on for a really long time. A lot of the songs that, that we end up recording on our albums are ones that we go on tour with for a couple of seasons because we want to iron them out. We want to see how people respond to them. When you play a song live, you can kind of figure out where you flub a little bit because sometimes just sitting there in a studio environment recording it sounds good. And then you get out there on the road playing it and you're like, oh, actually it would be better if we did change some things. So this is one we played for a while before we actually got it on an album. And it was written after our very first band tour that we booked through Colorado, New Mexico, Utah, Arizona with our first drummer, Miles Erdman. <laughs> we were touring through Colorado in a still unnamed town playing in this little brew pub in kind of like an afternoon-ish sort of slot it was a family environment. You know, we were, we were playing there, I think maybe on a Sunday or something. So people were in there eating dinner with their kids and we're setting up in the corner and played our first set and it went well and we're running our own sound. We're just kind of figuring things out. And Miles and I, the drummer and I go outside at the set break and Jet comes up and he's like, Hey, Hey, I, I met this guy. He really wants to, to sing with us on the next set. And we're like, oh, okay, what, what guy? I had had a few drinks, you know, it was our first tour, right? So I'm like, yeah, wow, cool. The These... band gets a tab? Yeah, we get free <laughs> IPAs. Perfect, you know? So anyways. Yeah, so Jet decided to invite this, this guy on stage with us. We'd never heard him sing before. As he told us, he was a really good reggae rapper from LA. And Miles and I were like, he said he was really good. Like, hmm, okay, this will be interesting. And reggae rapper with our stuff. Okay, whatever. We're game. Sure, you know. So we get up there and we start a little riff. And the fellow grabs a microphone from Jet and starts to sing, sort of. And basically what came out of this man's mouth was just horrible off-key profanities like you wouldn't believe <laughs> and parents eyes got huge kids eyes got huge and they were slapping their hands over their their kids ears and people were running out the door and meanwhile we're trying to get the guy off stage like i hope it was one of the most entertaining things people have ever seen because it was awful and we're like okay it was man so bad. it was, it was good. so bad <laughs> we're like okay man okay that's good that's good like get off and he wouldn't let go of the microphone he was like trying to grab it and run around the room me and miles had to like unplug the pa we're like god again so we turned everything kabow. off kabow we turned everything off <laughs> and he and his buddies were like woohoo that was fun and like left and there were just a few people left in the bar and the bartenders were shaking their heads at us like Shouldn't let that guy sing with you. He does that every time. Oh, <laughs> my god! We didn't know, you know, and it's our first tour. We didn't know that, you know, anybody who asks you to come play with you uh, won't be good. You know, you're just kind of naive to these things. Well, I was not laughing at that point in time. I was very angry and very upset because, you know, it just embarrassed us and we were on our first tour and uh, so... um 
Miles and Jet here locked me in the women's bathroom because I was I was pretty ready to just like go after that she guy. She was going to go after him. I was. She was like, <laughs> she was like. Oh, so angry. Have you ever gone was... after anybody before? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. You're talking to a redheaded ranch girl here, okay? Oh, yeah. She was ready to inflict some Western justice on oh, this dude. Terrible. Is... I've grown up since then. But anyways, they locked me in the women's bathroom. And they're like, Callie, just please do not come out until we get this situation under control. And I'm just fuming. I'm just like, that guy, I can't believe you did that. I'm going to pound him in the car. And my sister calls and I'm like, oh, Cheyenne, I can't believe what just happened. This guy. And she, I was telling her what happened and she just burst out in laughter, was just <laughs> laughing. And I'm like, how can you laugh at this? And it she's like, it's funny. Like, you know, absolutely. And so... That kind of led to a huge portion of the lyrics. I got off the phone with her. I just had a, a marker in my back pocket and some toilet paper. And I started just writing down some ideas. And uh, I was let out of the bathroom. We finished the set and we moved on. And we have not played that pub since, um, <laughs> which makes... Uh, not invited yeah. back or you didn't try to book it? Uh, I don't, I don't think we don't, we didn't want to test either one. Um, so we got home after the tour hindsight is set in. It was a funny scenario. And thusly Colorado brew was born. We were working on the lyrics. We had the chorus, you know, and you're too far away. Da, 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 da. And, we had some cadence for the lyrics. Like we knew we wanted to kind of be bouncy. We wanted to write something funny and lighthearted about this experience. And then there's a friend of ours who's actually featured in one of our music videos named Tony Sino, who came into our practice space because we had a practice space in Rudo. So people could see when we were there. So we often had random folks pop in, which was awesome. He came in and he's like, Hey, I, I was thinking about you guys and I wrote this little riff and I want to give it to you. I think it'd be a good Gleewood song. And it went do 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 and I was like that's it. That's perfect. That's, perfect. that's exactly what we needed. Yep. And we just wrote down the rest of the lyrics that afternoon and around that little melody and that was it. Family met their fate 
And I learned to appreciate any water that came our way For I knew at the time of all youth had slipped away And as the seasons change across this mountain's landscape It's time to weather in the sun, it's time to take refuge in the shade But my son, do not be afraid to turn the page I think maybe we will go into uh, one song that I like to recall, because ultimately what we're trying to do with this project, Gleewood, is bring hope and inspiration to people to pursue creative endeavors was laid on their hearts, because I believe we were all created to create. One of the people that inspired me to live life passionately and not be afraid to change with the seasons was my grandfather and I got to record a song that I wrote that was inspired by our last conversation called a fall ballad and it was written up in the mountains one autumn season me and my grandpa Joe were hanging out on the front porch watching the leaves change colors and fall off the trees and uh, I was about 16 at the time and my dad used to you know strongly encouraged me to go hang out with old Grandpa Joe, even though we didn't really get along all that well because I was a pretty stubborn teenager and he was kind of a mean old man. And one day, sitting out on that front porch, he kind of opened up just kind of randomly about things that he had been through when he was my age and um, his time in the war and in jail and, and, you know, raising his kids. And all of a sudden, you know, I started to see why Grandpa Joe was the way that he was and, you know, understand the things that his generation had to go through that mine just frankly had not had to endure. And he did more to bridge that generational gap in my life than maybe he ever knew. And he started speaking in a parable about the changing of the seasons and how they're going to come and go in our lives And that always resonated with me. And a few years later, when I started playing guitar, I I learned like three or four chords from playing, you know, Bob Dylan songs and whatever, you know. And so I used those three or four chords to write a song to his words the best that I could remember them. And that's that's a song called A Fall Ballad. I think we're still quite proud of that one and, and try to play that on as many stages as will allow such an intimate song. You know, it's my hope that that song lifts people's spirits and takes away a little bit of fear because we're always in a point of transition. You know, this whole life is one of constant transition and change. And fear is what can really hold us back from not enjoying that and riding that wave. We were designed to ride and get the most out of, you know, so. And where's your grandpa? Uh, he's passed. He passed he's passed. Away? Yeah. How long yeah. ago? Uh, that would have been right after, right after that conversation. Really? Yeah. Yeah. It would have been 15 years ago. And so how soon after that did you write the song? About a year. And how quickly did you write it? Did it, like, was it, you started thinking about it after you passed away or did you? I think I wrote it more in a, in a poem uh-huh. and, um, you know, I was such a novice guitarist. I think I pretty much wrote the entire thing as kind of a poem idea and put chords to it later. It was one of the earlier songs that we wrote together. Callie helped. Once I did put some music to it, 
Callie helped me kind of refine it with music. And so the majority of the lyrics happened in a day, you know, like they often do, you know, you kind of get that, that flow of consciousness and you just kind of roll with it. And then, you know, you end up with far more lyrics than you really need. And then you can kind of go through that later once you have the music. It's kind of how we work and kind of edit out, you know, what need not really be in the song or what doesn't really add to the story. So It had quite a long gestation period because we were playing it live, but we just didn't feel like we were nailing it good enough for an album, a recording. So a fall ballad made it on our second album, which is Sweet Sweet Time, even though it was written around the same time as all the songs from the first album that came out in late uh, 2014. And then Sweet Sweet Time was released in 2016. So it did take a while for that song to make it to the album. It took me a while to come up for the harmony part. Like Jet was saying, we were, we are, but we're very novice musicians. We knew we wanted to tell our story, tell other people's stories through music and Exactly. God was giving us these chances and these avenues to do it through, but we didn't really know what we were doing, you know? So it took us a little while. And then when we did finally get in the studio with it in Ruidoso, New Mexico, it really came together well. My dad ended up playing lead on it, oh, no which is pretty cool. Yeah. Mm. He, in fact, he plays dueling lead with himself, basically. Wow. Uh, yeah. he, he laid down two different lead tracks that just were so cool the way they weaved in and out, one acoustic one, one electric one, right? And it, and it kind of reflects the lyrical yeah. conversation of an old man to a young man, and mm -hmm. he really harnessed that in his he did. musical. It starts off with a very soft acoustic intro, and then we bring the band in in the middle, and it kind of has um, a little bit of a reggae-type upbeat to it, but it's still very folk. And then we go back down to the acoustic to end the song, and that's something that we really feel passionate about with our songs, with each one that feels right, is kind of riding that, you know, you're up on the mountaintop and then you're down in the valley and you're up on the mountaintop. So there's a lot in almost all of our songs, there's a lot of that exchange where there's a build of energy and then we drop it down and we go soft and then we build it back up or we like to do that with our live shows. Hopefully it comes across that way. <laughs> that's, that would be ideal. And kind of speaking of those two voices, there is a whole songs that we're finishing writing and we'll be recording when we get back to Nashville. There's a whole other side to the negative, darker songs on Necromancer's Dream. There's a good side to superstition. There's a good side to a lot of the the darker songs on that one, Whiskey Leave Me Alone. And, yeah, we've kind of sitting on the redemption of Necromancer's Dream that we'll hopefully be able to finish recording in Nashville and release the following year is kind of the idea, almost as a part two. Mm -hmm. So how do you know when a song like this one that we're talking about is done? When I'm bored with it. No, no, no. <laughs> um, I don't know. We've rewritten our songs a lot. And we actually continue to rewrite them almost every tour. We're like, hey, we should change this part or add a new musical section or make this part of the song a medley with another pop song or whatever. So we do a lot of rewrites continuously on our songs to keep it fresh for ourselves. 
and fresh for, you know, our audience, people that have seen that song played live a number of times, you know, we like to bring something a little bit new to the table with it. And so a lot of our songs will always continue to evolve. And then there are certain songs that, you know, especially are in like the good, the bad, and the blues, Colorado Brew, Rock and Roll is Dead. There's certain songs like that that are in that shorter song format that just kind of have a beginning, a middle, a bridge, you know what I mean? Verse, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus, vibe. And it just kind of, it is what it is. The song kind of tells you like, okay, Mm -hmm. like that's complete, it's done. I don't know, it just, sometimes the songs just kind of, they say, here I am, and you just let them be, you know? (laughs) And the first time you play it live is exactly how you play it over and over again live, and the audience reacts to it, and then you know it works, and that's it. I was actually just going to say that for me is sometimes the song will tell you like, you're just like, you know what? There's nothing more I can say. There's nothing else. Or for me, there's nothing else this character is telling me. This is their song. This is their story. And then another part of that is the audience. If we play the song kind of rough on that weird, you know, you get when you're playing a new song live, you get this weird rush of adrenaline. You're like, okay, got to remember how I wrote this. I got to remember the lyrics. And if it can come across in that moment of kind of raw energy where you're like, oh shit, if it can come across and people react to it within that first playing, it's like, oh, cool. There's the song, you know, and you might go in and refine it a little bit, but even with Whiskey Sue, uh, Colorado Brew, Cisco Lights, Rock and Roll is Dead. Within the first time of playing those songs, literally the first show, people were either up dancing, crying, or whatever it was, the emotion we were trying to evoke with those songs happened within the first time they were played. And that kind of seals their fate in a lot of ways, you know? And then some of them are just like just constantly grinding them out. Like we really, there's a couple of songs that we, we play alive, which are fun live. We've tried to get into the studio and record them and it just doesn't work. There's a song that we do not have released right now that will hopefully be on the follow-up album called The Last Ballad of Cynthia Chavez and really inspired by, you know, kind of Marty Robbins style balladry. But we recorded a, a scratch version of it and we've been sitting on it and performing it live, trying it out. And it just had that basic, you know, C, F major, G major, G7, turnaround, you know, back to C kind of vibe. And it was just too straightforward Western, which is not exactly where we want to live, you know. And one day we were sitting in the RV rehearsing for a show that we we're going to play it at. And we're like, man, what if we just what if we just move the chord around and, you know, C, D minor, F, you know, so it's still in C major, but then, you know, took the chorus to A sharp, which is kind of out of the key, but vocally you can open up so much more. It can be such a more, you know, dynamic song. And then all of a sudden we played it that way and we're like, wow, what a whole, like, that's the way, you know, we'd already played the song live probably 30 times, but then, you know. That was the twist. And that twist stays there. I think it's going to stay. I think we'll probably record it that way, you know? So sometimes it just it takes that, sitting on a song and reworking it. And, you know, you got to be able to be comfortable in your own skin. I do. I've got to be able to be in the character of the song when I'm playing it, you know? And I felt a little bit 
like an imposter when I was playing it, you know, the straight up Western ballad format. I felt this little bit of imposter syndrome, you know, which is not a good place to be on a stage, you know? You want to be you real. Need to, you need to be own You need to you own it. You got to be real. You want to be a real actor. You got to, yeah. <laughs> you want to be in the role and not... Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, and then once we changed the chords a little bit and gave it a little bit different vibe, all of a sudden, okay, I can own that. It was our song. It was our song now, yeah. Thank you for listening to Backstory Song. If you like our podcast, you can become a patron at our Patreon page, where you will receive bonus interview tracks with your favorite songwriters and early release access to upcoming episodes. It is only $3 per month or the price of a cup of coffee to become a Backstory Song patron. Yeah, I wrote this. Shining down on road signs behind us saying We've never been down this road Telephone poles and red stop signs Yeah, we watch the sunset Yeah, we watch it rise If we counted the smiles I think I'd run out of time with you And that's never, never, never something I intend to do I never, never, never want to run out of time with you So you guys are husband and wife You haven't talked about a love song Yet oh. <laughs> um, Do you guys write love songs? Kind uh, of <laughs> I mean, we feel like we we write one good one that makes us both cry every once in a while. But that's funny enough, as a husband and wife duo, we really do not perform nor write as many love songs as we feel like some other uh, husband and wife duos do. The main one that if we're like slightly upset at each other about something or nervous or something's not going right, sound check's not going right, we're late to whatever happens. We can play this song on stage and it immediately brings us back to why we're playing music together, who is holding us together. And that's uh, from our very first album, Cisco Lights. Oh my gosh, we're so grateful for that. We've had people here in Park City, Utah propose to that song. We were playing it actually for a Mountain Town music show and this this gentleman had uh, messaged us like, hey, I want to propose to my girlfriend while you guys are playing Cisco Lights. Can you put it in your set? And da 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 So we played it. We've had people walk down the aisle to it. We've had, I mean, it is incredible what, what that song has meant to other people because it, it means a lot to us. And it's one that we wrote the night before our wedding. Oh, no um, kidding. Yeah, we were kind of like we're gonna get married tomorrow. We should write a song. Well, like, no, 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 it wasn't like that. Was, no, it was. It was. I was. We were doing the traditional thing. We're not allowed to see the the bride. You know, the day before the wedding. I and was just trying to look for an excuse to see if my dad thought it was a bad idea, and if maybe we should just 
not go to the wedding the next day. <laughs> oh, so yeah, exactly. So due to those kind of comments right there, I was like a nervous wreck. I'm like, is she even going to show up tomorrow? So I was trying to calm my nerves. And so I started playing guitar and I started playing, you know, a series of chords that sounded pretty, you know, kind of had that Beatles-esque vibe. And I was like, oh, I think Callie would like this. So I recorded it on my iPhone and sent it over to her. And, uh, a few minutes later, she replied back with a few lyric lines. And then I played some more and recorded it and sent it over. And she sent back a few more lyric lines. And uh, so we pretty much wrote the whole song via text. Via text. Uh-huh. Oh, wow. That's the first time yeah, on and, the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> so we pretty much wrote the whole song via text. We both showed up the next day. To get married. And, and to get married. Okay. And, uh, on time? Yeah. Yeah, we were on time and everything. And we were set to go on our honeymoon to visit Hayton Ashbury in San Francisco to visit some of the the hallowed ground of our musical heroes. And so the song was kind of finished there officially in San Francisco, hence the name Cisco Lights. Okay. You do get categorized as psychedelic, but I'm not like absolutely convinced that that's accurate for you guys. We were just talking about that. We were. We do have a lot of psychedelic influences. And sometimes when we're really having, maybe we're a little delusional because we've been on the road for a long time or whatever, we will in our live shows really jam a song out, especially when we're the four-piece band and it has come across psychedelic. But as far as recording anything... It's tighter than that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it is. I hope so. Good. Uh, (laughs) But live there has been that element yeah and you know doing so much of the rocky mountain circuit through idaho and the mountain towns and like you know just being around the ski culture so much and you know playing jam band festivals and stuff like that like we've jammed out a lot of our stuff and people were sticking us on the bills with quite a few psychedelic bands. We played with Radio Moscow. We've done like, played with some old school bands and lots of jam bands and stuff like that. So we were kind of in that world for a little while. And we thought maybe that we were going to really sink our teeth in there, but I don't know. It's a different sound. It's a different thing. Yeah. It's a different for thing. Sure. Yeah. Um, some things to wrap up. I really like the way you harmonize. Can you talk about like, how that happens for you. Does it, is it just natural or is it just like, do you have to work at it? Uh, that, that makes us laugh because we do have to work at it a lot. We're really lucky that our voices are such, you know, wide octaves apart. So many things we can sing in unison and it has a nice sound to it because his, his voice is so low and mine is so high we've felt that our harmonies were not really that great. And so we've been really working on them a lot lately. I have a little bit more of a background with harmonies, singing in church and different things like that. So I've typically taken the role of the harmonist and Jet has held the melody. Currently, we're actually taking lessons in Nashville to do better harmonies. One of our absolute, like our pinnacle goal, what we want to, sound like with harmonies is actually when Linda Ronstadt was singing with the Stone Ponies. Uh-huh. I don't know if you've heard uh-huh. of that group. Yeah. And they do a version of a song called Wild About My Lovin'. And how she and uh, the two guys uh, of that 
band harmonize and how they weave in and out and they're both taking harmonies and then they'll sing together. And then like, it's, it's like a watching the Olympics of harmonies. And that is really our goal. So funny, you should bring that up. We want to get better. We hope that it comes across well, because we really do enjoy singing together. So I'm here with Gleewood. This has been terrific. I got to thank you. Yeah. Thank Thank you, you. man. Thanks for having us. This is, this is super groovy time, man. We're honored to be up here in the mountains and honored to be on your podcast. Jet and Kelly Schiavone. Thank you very much.